In this episode, we are trading tears for fears because the devil may cry. Let's do it. What's up, companion? I'm your host, Tom Tate, and I'm on a mission to trim and prioritize my ever-growing backlog, and I can't do it without your help. I'm going through 30 games for my backlog. Each day, we'll take a good look at a single game and evaluate if it's worth playing or ditching at the end of the month. I'm going to pick 10 games to play over the next few months, 10 games to set aside for another day, and 10 games to purge completely. Never going to play those games. And today, we're taking a look at Devil May Cry for PS3. Let's go. Devil May Cry was released in 2001 on the PlayStation 2. It's a fast-paced hack-and-slash game, somewhat set in the horror genre, though not a survival horror game in the traditional Resident Evil sense. There's some great history to this game, so if you're really looking for a good story, if you're looking for just some good snippets from video game history, check out the developments of Devil May Cry. It was developed by Capcom. The director was Hideki Kamiya. Kamiya was also the director of Resident Evil 2. I apologize for any and all pronunciations throughout this episode. Uh, He would later go on to direct Beautiful Joe Bayonetta, Okami, Wonderful 101. He worked on Astral Chain, which was recently released by Platinum Games, and he also worked on a canceled game called Scalebound. But before all that, he was tasked with creating a new Resident Evil title. And I didn't realize this, but Resident Evil had a lot of different directors. So uh, Shinji Mikami is kind of like, when I think of Resident Evil, I think of Shinji Mikami because he kind of spearheaded the series. Uh, He was the planner slash director for the first Resident Evil. Uh, He was very involved with the future development of all of the games after that, but he wasn't the formal director. He was more of like a producer. I know the roles are kind of ambiguous. Like there's definitely some ambiguity around what the different roles and responsibilities of all the different uh, principals, all the different heads did, you know, back in the, uh, game development days, you know, for PlayStation and Capcom. But like, essentially he moved on to be like more of the producer, like overseer, visionary. Like, I don't think he was doing the actual day-to-day directing of the future titles. Um, Resident Evil 2's director was Kamiya. Uh, Resident Evil 3's director was uh, Kuzohiro Oyama. Resident Evil Code Veronica was Hiroki Kato, and Resident Evil 4 returned to Shinji Mikami, so he came back for Resident Evil 4. And there seemed to have been a desire to bring Resident Evil into a new generation of consoles by doing something completely different. You know, so Resident Evil 2 was amazing, in my humble opinion. Resident Evil 3 felt like more of the same. It definitely felt like more of the same. And we actually talked about uh, Code Veronica on this podcast. Uh, So we've already talked about Code Veronica earlier in uh, the month. But, you know, there was this, I think this desire going into Resident Evil 4 to do something different 
and make it stand out. So it wasn't just more of the same. And Kamiya began working on this like hip and fast paced action game that sped up the pace. Uh, it was just a totally different, totally different vibe. Uh, the problem, uh, and you know, it's arguable whether or not this was an actual problem, but it, it really strayed from Resident Evil's roots. And this is something that Resident Evil needed to do at the time. It needed to stray from its roots and do something different. And I think Capcom felt that. But perhaps uh, this game that Kamiya was developing that ultimately was supposed to be another installment in Resident Evil, maybe it went a bit too far. So the game eventually became its own thing outside of the Resident Evil world. And Mikami stepped in to make Resident Evil 4, which is even to this day regarded as one of the finest in the series. So, I mean, this was a good thing, right? This became Devil May Cry, which ended up being a pretty popular and lucrative franchise for Capcom. And then Shinji Mikami stepped in and created one of the best Resident Evil games. Uh, So this is actually, it's not a terrible thing, but it's interesting to kind of read up on the evolution of Devil May Cry, which started out ultimately as potentially Resident Evil 4. Gameplay-wise, it's a combo-driven hack-and-slash game. There's lots of enemies to defeat. Uh, We're pretty used to this genre by now, but I think that it was a rare type of game back in 2001. There are individual levels in this game. It's not open like Resident Evil, where you're just exploring indefinitely and you can do a lot of backtracking. I'm not sure if there is any if there are any RPG elements or like experience in this game or upgrades to your gear. Uh, I didn't do too much research or reading on that. Uh, potential gameplay elements, uh, but I know that it is individual levels. I, I think they're referred to as missions. Uh, I also know that there's some light puzzle elements throughout too. The version of Devil May Cry that I'll be playing is the HD remaster, and it was released in a collection with Devil May Cry 2 and 3 in 2012. I have it on PlayStation 3, but it's also available on PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Xbox 360, and Windows, so there are plenty of ways to play this game if you're interested. So what do you think? Should I play Devil May Cry? Uh, And, you know, this is a challenging one for me because I'm a huge fan of Capcom and I haven't played any Devil May Cry games in the series. Uh, Will it make the cut? Let me know what you think. If you played this game and you think I should play it, skip it or ditch it, email me at tom at videogamepodcast.com or reach out on Twitter at YoPowerTime, Y-O PowerTime. So I was initially going to spend some time talking with my friend John about this game, but I've been really swamped this past month, uh, so I couldn't get a good time uh, to talk with him. So my apologies to John. Uh, He's got an epic backlog, and his backlog consists of a lot of great physical titles. He has a really good physical uh, game collection and console collection. So I'm going to have him back on the show just to dig into his current and active backlog Uh, We were going to talk today and John is doing one of the most gothic thing that I can possibly think of. So it's actually kind of fitting talking about Devil May Cry because John was actually, uh, he was at the movies seeing a a fairly terrifying film, uh, the Mr. Rogers film. So um, I hope that he wasn't super spooked uh, by that that movie and that he's able to return to us in one piece. um, And, you know, ultimately we can have this conversation. Uh, all joking aside, because I actually really, I, oddly enough, I really want to see that Mr. Rogers movie. Uh, and I can't wait to hear his feedback on the, on that movie. Uh, but yeah, anyways, John's son is named Dante. Um, so that's extra relevant for Devil May Cry because Devil May Cry's protagonist shares the same name. 
And we'll have to wait to find out with our conversation with John to see if there's a one-to-one connection there, uh, if, if he actually named his son after this Capcom character or if there's another inspiration or if that, that name came from something else. For today's topic, though, uh, in lieu of that conversation with John, I do want to ask you a question. Do individual developers and producers have an influence on the actual games that end up in your backlog? Are you likely to add a game if you're a fan of a specific creator's previous work? So I I think a lot about film when I think about this topic. And I think we've seen a continued progression in video games where creators are able to establish this auteur status. And I'm thinking specifically of Kojima because Kojima is ultra relevant right now. Uh, His game Death Stranding uh, was just released and it was a a fairly polarizing release, uh, both critically and also with fans too. And I think that, you know, a lot of people said, if you're a fan of Kojima, you're going to like it and you'll just get it. You know, so there's this element of, Kojima in the work itself. But I'm also thinking of Tetsuya Nomura from the Kingdom Hearts series or uh, uh, Hironobu Sakaguchi, right? Who was one of the early Final Fantasy creators who's, who's gone on to create RPGs outside of the Final Fantasy franchise. And I'm sure a lot of people pick those games up just because of his legacy. Uh, Shigeru Miyamoto. I mean, he is the you know, uh, ultimate creator at Nintendo and he's created so many fantastic games. And if, if he were to put his name on a new game, I'm sure many of us would be interested, especially if it was like a new IP. Uh, E.G. Anuma, uh, and again, pronunciation, I apologize, but, you know, the uh, famed director slash producer maybe of Breath of the Wild and he's worked on so many different Zelda titles. So I'm always interested to see what he's going to put out. Uh, Suda 5.1 is another, you know, kind of auteur status creator in the video game space. And then, you know, in the United States, we have Tim Schafer and Ron Gilbert. And we've talked a lot about them and their legacy at LucasArts and point and click adventures and some of the things that they've done afterwards. Uh, Amy Hennig is, is another fantastic example. Uh, Amy was kind of the pioneer on the Uncharted series. Uh, And she just recently formed her own studio or partnered with someone to form a new studio. And she had a Star Wars title that was in development that got scrapped. And I'm sure a lot of us would love to just get a sense of like what was involved with that Star Wars game. And I'm sure that's a game that many people will talk about as a game they want, wanted to see because she has such a clear vision and style for video games. And it's interesting to have, you know, distinguished figures in gaming who are intentionally creating this body of work. Uh, you know, they're intentionally shaping their own specific body of work. I, again, Kojima comes to mind as someone who uh, intentionally has done this throughout his career. I think of the Scorseses and the Tarantinos and, you know, Sofia Coppola comes to mind too. You know, these directors who they produce something uh, and when they put something out, like I'm going to pay attention to it uh, and I'm going to keep my eye out for it. And I might go see it just because it has their name on it. And I'm, I've been impressed with their previous work. Uh, developers should be the same way in gaming. I firmly believe that. I'm curious if, if any specific uh, game creator or even studio, uh, if they have that kind of impact on you and your backlog, 
you know, when someone leaves a studio to start a new one or joins a new studio and promises a spiritual successor or a next installment to a game that was famous at some point in their body of work, that kind of makes news really quick. And, and it, it makes quick work of my backlog too. And I'm just kind of curious if, if that uh, is something that applies to you as well. So will DMC make the cut? Subscribe to Backlog Companion on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to shows and follow along to find out. If you want to advocate for a specific game, check out the full list at backlogcompanion.com. You can email me at tom at videogamepodcasts.com and let me know or head on over to Twitter at YoPowerTime is my handle, YoPowerTime. In the absence of a Patreon account to support the show, leaving a review is super helpful. Feel free to keep it honest. And... uh, share it with a friend. I mean, one of the best ways to uh, help improve this show is for me to have more listeners to provide me with feedback and uh, let me know what you think. So we're coming up to the end. Uh, We have a couple more days this week, and then I'm probably going to take December off, and then I'll be back in 2020 with more Backlog Companion episodes. I don't know what they're going to be like, but I'm definitely excited to help shape the future of this podcast, and I really appreciate you for listening and uh, just coming along for the ride with me. Thanks for traveling, companions. I will catch you on the next one.